When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another installment of the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Randy Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic, joined by Carlos Levo of the MIA All Day Podcast. Carlos, what are you doing? Dude, I'm, I'm hanging my head in shame. I uh, I just can't do this. This is embarrassing. I'm, I'm going to do the entire show with my just my head hung in shame. This is thought, how we're going to do it today. I thought you were taking a knee. It looks like I just see the top of your head. Oh, is, that, is that what you were doing? Oh my God! They're gonna call us the anti Tebos. Nobody, we don't take knees. <laughs> this is embarrassing. Notice I've switched up the gear too. Yeah, go with the Dolphins. Yeah, they go with the Dolphins who won on at, Sunday. At least and, one team knows how to take a knee at the end of the game. Uh it is Monday, October 9th, around eleven forty a.m., <sighs> and uh, the hangover continues uh, from the catastrophe. You ain't lying. Uh, that the Canes had on Saturday night against Georgia Tech. I wanted to open the show with boys to men on bended knee, but I thought that was too much. Plus, we we don't know we don't uh, own the uh, my jam, music rights. Uh, that would have been the appropriate song. Everybody in the country is making fun of Miami after this defeat to Georgia Tech. Yeah. Which, Carlos, you and I spoke last week, and I said confidently Miami's going to cover the spread because this is a different team. But I also was the hair in the back of my neck wouldn't go down. Like, got to see who they are coming off a of bye week. And the wrong hurricane showed up from the start. And yeah. then and then they crapped down their legs. Uh instead of taking a knee and just running out the clock and securing victory 20 to 17. And the one thing I want to start off with, we're going to talk about North Carolina. And there's a, there's a lot that's going to be talked about on the show. The Canes, uh, where does this loss rank all time in UM history? Uh, some key stats moving forward for this team. <clears throat> We're going to answer maybe a couple mailbag questions. But, Carlos, where I want to start with this, it didn't look to me at all, okay, that this team even pondered taking a knee. Like, it wasn't even a discussion. No. Um, and to me, it's sort of – everybody's asking why. Why, did, why didn't they do it? Like, to me, it's just like it wasn't in Mario's mentality to do that for whatever reason. And maybe it was to get Don Chaney his 100-yard game, his first career 100-yard game. Maybe it was because they're just – they don't do that. Like, they just – it's just not in, in Mario's DNA as an offensive lineman. He just – he thinks we don't do this. Whatever the case is, it has to be implemented now going forward. And this team has to show up against North Carolina this week and play better than it did this last week. Or – or, I'm going to say this, are we headed down the same path that we were a year ago? Well, the same path that this team has gone down over the last several years, right? They they right. lose one game, and then they just start to spiral out of control. Um, a lot of times, that's a loss to North Carolina or a loss to Florida State that really just upends the season and, for the last 10, 15 years, drags this team down a, a three to four uh, you know, straight loss path. 
to me, it's it's just so strange that, you know, I this bullshit about Mario, it's not in his DNA. It's not who he is. Dude, you are trying to win football games. Is winning not in your DNA? Is winning not in your mentality? Why are you going to put the game at risk, right? Even though minimal as may be, we saw, you know, it happens. Why put the game in the balance when you have it in hand? Why? What is the purpose of that? To give a kid 100 yards, he's going to get many more opportunities to get 100 yards. Okay? That's a bullshit reason to do, to pump up a stat. This isn't Madden. We're not out here trying to pump people's stats up. This isn't NCAA 23 where you're trying to get the kid the Heisman. Okay? You're not trying to bully the other team and try to maybe get to 200 yards rushing overall as a team. Is that what you're trying to do? Get up over 175? Is that what we're trying to do to look good in terms of the rush stats? To show the country how much you're dominating people at the line of scrimmage running the football? Is that the mentality? Like, it's so stupid to me to, to, to not take the victory. You basically snatched defeat from the jaws of victory purposely. You put yourself in a position where there can only be one. Uh, the, the one thing that could go bad, that could go wrong, would be catastrophic, right? It's not an incomplete pass. It's not going, well, now we got to punt it back to them. No, you're turning the ball over and giving it to them. Why? What is the point? When all you had to do was take a knee. Not only that, but throughout the series, they were snapping the ball with six, six, seven seconds left on the play clock every time. Why yeah. not run it down to one each time? And it's this whole thing where, you know, we were told that Mario was bad at clock management when he came over from Oregon. You know, we thought, okay, well, you know, he he did something stupid once upon a time. You know, he's not great at using timeouts and all that stuff. You know, that's stuff that can be overcome with people on the staff that'll that'll guide him. No. Mirabal, there's there's video of Mirabal telling him and Dawson, take a knee. And they're ignoring him. Why? And this is just as much on, on Shannon Dawson as it is with Mario Cristobal. Why the hell are you calling plays? You had th This was the worst game Shannon Dawson has called all season. And it was compounded exponentially by the stupidity of running a play at the end of the game when you had a win in your hand. And to me, the biggest thing that pisses me off about this whole thing is you go in the post-game press conference and the first thing out of your mouth should be, this is on me. This loss is on me. I made a terrible decision not to take a knee. We had the game won. You know what? Those kids fought back. They fought hard. They overcame a, a terrible performance on our home field in our first ACC game to come back and have be in the position to win it, and I cost the game for them. Not point back to the locker room and say some shit that we should have called a timeout and told Don Chaney to put two hands on the ball. What? How about you don't give Don Chaney the ball and just take a knee and end the game, bro? Carlos, I mean, listen, this is this is the kind of thing that can can really derail a season. And that's what I worry about, because really, I mean, to me, the two most important games of the year before Florida State are the next two weeks, North Carolina and Clemson. Those are measuring stick games. These are games that ultimately you get judged in terms of how far you are in progress. I, Miami could have won that last game against Georgia Tech 20 to 17, and we could have sit, sat here today and picked apart a lot of bad things that they did. But. You still would have been able to say, hey, you know what? In spite of it all, they still Five found a way to win the game. They still found a way to come back in the fourth quarter. James Williams made a big interception. Tyler led them down the field, got some points, you know, after throwing three picks. They they still managed not to turn the ball over late and and play smart enough to win. You could have you could have felt a whole lot better than you do right now. And instead, uh, we're sitting here lamenting one of the most embarrassing losses in school history. And um that falls on Mario and he, and, and look, I think he's trying to take ownership of it. I heard his interview on, on Joe Rose today. He's going to do a press conference, him and his coordinators will do press conferences later this afternoon in Coral Gables. 
they're obviously trying to move on from this because they do have a football game to play Saturday at North Carolina that's vitally important. But in the long run, I think he does need to apologize to Don Chaney Jr. and and sit down and talk to him, and especially after saying, you know, two hands on the ball. Yeah, Don Chaney Jr. knows that. He knows he fumbled. He knows he lost the ball, even though his elbow was down. By the way, when replay showed, yeah, it. it was a terrible call. But that shouldn't have been. A, but, he shouldn't have been in that position to begin with. But the point. But the point is, this is more to me. This is more about who Mario is as a coach. And the reality is, during last year's five and seven season, there weren't many instances. Okay, because they sucked. There were not many instances where they were playing with a lead and had to protect it with under a minute to go last year. Just not. Go back and look at the season. How many times were in the, were they in that situation? So you're if you're a good team and you're and you're playing, uh, you know teams are getting up for you each week and and it's a big game for them. The the opponent like you're going to be in these situations where you have to run the clock out and you have to um, hold on to the football and protect the football. And Mario's mentality has to change. Somebody pointed out on on the internet that you know he hasn't taken a knee all season. He hasn't taken a knee. Uh, you know, I can't even remember last year when they when they took knees at all. You, you know, go go back to Oregon. The, the mistake happened at Oregon in 2018. They lost to Stanford for the same reason. So to me, this just all goes back to Mario as a game day coach. And we've had other coaches at this program, Carlos, if you remember. Butch Davis wasn't necessarily the greatest game day coach. He got better at it. But when he started, there were a lot of games Miami lost because he did many of the same stupid things. Um you still got to come away with the victory and they didn't. And he has to learn from this. Now this is twice in his career. He's lost a game that he should have won because his teams didn't take a knee. And and so I'm very interested to see how he comes back from this. I'm very interested to see how this team reacts when it comes back from this in the first quarter, we're going to find out in the first quarter against North Carolina, if these guys really are a different program, because if they come out flat and uninspired and making mistakes, then this whole season is going to unravel in my mind, in my mind. You know, and you, and you were talking about you know seeing the, the the shift in the culture in this team, and you you thought that the the mental makeup of the team has gotten better. You know, I tweeted out, I don't normally tweet during games, but in the fourth quarter, I said, down seventeen ten with twelve twenty nine left. Now we find out that the Canes locker room culture has truly changed. Down seventeen ten in the fourth quarter with twelve yeah. minutes left against Georgia Tech. Let's see if these guys have really changed. And guess what? They went on to score ten points, get up twenty seventeen, have the game in hand. And this shift that you, this culture that you wanted to create has finally taken hold. It looks like these guys are finally turning the corner. And you yourself, the architect of this supposed culture, destroys it. Not only that, but you preach accountability, right, to these players. You preach that they must be accountable for their actions, that they must work in a way that represents the University of Miami in the best way possible, that, that represents the work ethic of, of the past, of the teams that have won here, of the glory years. And you come out here and you do some dumb shit like this, and you're not accountable for it afterwards. That that pisses me off. And the other thing is, when you go out there and you do something this dumb, right? And and you do something. And I'm sorry that I'm I'm just harping on Mario making a dumb decision, but it's really ridiculous because no coach in America, I think, would have made the decision to not take a knee. Well, just, I, I just don't understand. It. Just just imagine if Nick Saban had done this, right? Or or and, or and Kirby he supposedly Smart. learned at the hand of Nick Saban, right? This is where he got all right. of his you, coaching you, prowess. You can't imagine it because they haven't done these mistakes before. Exactly. Yet he continues to do it for some reason because he feels like he needs to impose his will in a way uh, to bully teams, right? I think that's what he want to do. He want to play bully ball at the end and, and impose their will and to show Georgia Tech, listen, we may have played a close game, but we're still dominant, right? We still want to make you feel us. No, take the knee and take the win. 
You know, every team, you see, you have these games throughout seasons where you, you're locked in a battle against a team you shouldn't be locked in a battle against. The 2001 Hurricanes had against Boston College. It took an Ed Reed interception for a touchdown to seal that game against Boston College and preserve the national championship for possibly the greatest team of all time, right? Florida State had an earlier close call like that with Boston College also this year. There are teams year after year that have these kinds of games, and these are the kind of games where you just wipe your brow and say, Whew, we got away with one. We got to get better next week. And it's when you you get to that point where you're about to just overcome every mistake that you made throughout that game and come away with a victory, and it's stolen from you by your own head coach with a decision that's ridiculous. How do you look those kids in the eye in the locker room and ask them to gear up and load up for next week and believe in what it is you're preaching about accountability and what you need to do to win against North Carolina and the rest of the season when you yourself aren't being accountable and when you yourself cost them that game? I can't argue with you. And 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 I and look, there's a lot of people who are they came after me because of my column and and I said, look, this is, you know, they lost in idiotic fashion and they said you weren't this hard on Manny Diaz. Yeah, that's um Manny didn't but, do this. Well, no, no. I mean, I, I don't need anybody to defend me, Carlos. I mean, I the, the bottom line is like Mario deserves this criticism because he lost the game with poor decision making. Uh Manny Diaz, you want to criticize Manny Diaz, criticize him for taking over his defense uh and not changing anything and, and running this, you know, playing this attacking style when he didn't have the personnel to do it. Um, blame Manny Diaz for not fighting hard enough for recruits uh, in his own backyard and, and, and sort of, you know, not, not pushing the envelope the way Mario does. You can criticize every Miami coach for different reasons. This is just game day mismanagement, coaching malpractice. That's what it is. It's coaching malpractice. It's bravado over brain. That's what that is. It's it's my ego, and this is the way we're going to play football. And it's a mistake. And look, he owned it. Today, he he talked about it. He said, hey, we should have taken an E. That, that's my mistake. He didn't do it on Saturday, but he said it today on Joe Rose. Yeah. I'm sure he will reiterate it today uh, when he does his press conference. I'm sure Shannon Dawson is going to talk about, yes, we do have the victory formation somewhere in the playbook. And and I'm sure going forward, they're going to do what they need to do. If they're in this position to win a game, they're going to take a knee. But uh, it just... It, it for for one day uh, as a Miami fan, you have every right to be really upset about what happened. Now, I, the one thing that I find a little comical, and we are sort of prisoners of the moment in the media, right? We always love to say this is the worst, the stupidest, whatever, uh, the worst loss, the stupidest coaching decision. I disagree on on all of those fronts. This is not the worst loss in UM history. I know Dan Levitard on his show this morning said this is the worst loss because he turned on Sirius XM radio and on multiple channels they were talking about Miami's stupidity at the end of this game. Um, I, I want to kind of go over the list with you, Carlos, because you and I are historians in some regard, right? With the Canes having lived here our whole lives, followed this program. Uh, I could come up with seven games. In fact, I came up with seven games that are worse in terms of feeling uh, of, of, a, of a loss for Miami compared to uh, what happened in this game. This was definitely up there. I think top two in terms of stupidity, right? In terms of a dumb. I think it's. Uh, I'll say it's 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 top two in terms of the most shocking loss. Okay. In hurricane history. Well, I, I, I here's, here's the way I would. I, I, there's some other ones that I want to mention. First of all, uh, the '86 Fiesta Bowl to me is the most painful loss of all time. You you to throw six interceptions, uh, to have Penn State. All you have to do is hand the ball off to Alonzo Highsmith. Uh, to lose to a team like that. Uh, with six picks when you have the Heisman Trophy winner, that is that is probably the most stinging loss, I think, of all time for Hurricane Sands because that was one of the greatest teams, if not maybe the greatest team in Miami history in terms of pure talent and, and the amount of stars that were on that squad. 
uh, blowing a 31-point lead to Maryland in 1984 and losing to Frank Wright. Uh, Hale Flutie uh, giving up the bomb at the end of that game. That's 58, the other shocking one. 58-0 to Clemson. Uh, at home without Golden, the embarrassment of that loss. Uh, the 2002 national championship game, uh, when when really you were a better team than Ohio State and and you play grab ass the entire game and lose in overtime. The loss to FIU uh, in your own backyard to the little brother who shouldn't even be on the field with you. Those are those are those are six, and then Middle Tennessee I think is probably the seventh one. Uh, I think just, you also bring up there. You bring up uh, Virginia in the last game in the Orange Bowl. There's yes, another that one. that's another one. Forty-eight nothing to Virginia. I mean, the point is, look, Georgia Tech. It's a bad loss, right? It's it's, but it's it's not. A, it's a game that was more of what are you doing in the last thirty seconds of the game versus some horrible, unexpected performance. I think we all knew going into this game, Carlos, that this was possible. That that Georgia Tech could play with them or hang with them. They had enough offense. You thought, okay, if they if these guys don't come out focused, they could be in a game in the fourth quarter. It's possible. We've seen it. But to lose in that fashion, it's just, to me, it's probably the stupidest uh, or dumbest uh, coaching performance in Miami history. It's up there. It's up in the top two. Uh, yeah, but in terms be. of it worst, but in terms of worst, I don't think it's close to it. No, I don't think it's the worst loss in program history. Definitely not. But I think it is the one that is the most head scratching in terms of how the outcome switched and how the tables turned so quickly and the reason why they turned. Yeah. Um. To me, it's it's you know if it's if it was just a straight up loss where hey they had to punt the ball back, you know they didn't have much they didn't have enough time to run it out. They punted it back with to Georgia Tech with a few seconds left and Georgia Tech was able to make two plays and somebody get seventy five yards and two plays on their own after receiving the punt. We lose that way on a last second throw. Then hey okay you know shit happens. That's the way it ends. But to have it done to yourself, to be to have that loss self-inflicted essentially by not taking the victory, by taking a knee, is is really the 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 problem. And I think more than anything else, you could overcome a bad loss like that. You can overcome a heartbreaking last second loss because those things happen in college football. The interesting thing is going to be how this affects the culture and, and and the locker room and how it affects the trust in the coaching staff. That to me is the long-term issue moving forward. I think these guys are going to come out and they're going to play with pride and they're going to play hard because these guys on this team, I think, have have evolved to that point where, to where they are strong enough internally and they police each other and they really feel good about the, the leadership within the locker room that they can go out and perform well against North Carolina. The question is, are they going to believe in their staff moving forward? It's going to have to be you know, a mentality of them against the world and, and there's going to be looking up at Mario like, dude, really? Like, what are we going to do now? How are you going to lead us through this? And Mario has to be very careful and very delicate about how he moves forward um, the rest of the season, how he, he he basically presents himself to these guys and how he presents what happened and how he takes ownership of it and helps them move on. And I think if he does it the right way, it could, they can bounce back. If he doesn't, then it could be a, a lost season. But but to me, it's like the people getting pissed off that Mario's being criticized and pissed off at you for writing an article stating the damn obvious what the entire nation is speaking about as if you cannot criticize Mario Cristobal or the Hurricanes just because it's it's the hometown team and it's your, supposed to be your favorite team. You're not supposed to criticize these people. Uh, that's total and utter bullshit. It's like, you know, you, you, you've you gone to the bar with your boy. Your boy gets drunk. He starts acting stupid. You know he's being an asshole. You know he's he's the one starting the problem. But what are you going to do? Are you going to stand there and let him get his ass kicked? No. You're going to stand in there. You're going to fight with him. Then when you get outside, you're going to criticize him tell him you're an idiot. 
Why did you do this? Right. All right. Well, I'll stand and I'll fight with you. I'll support you, but I can also call you an idiot for doing dumb things. Yeah, and that's and that's what friends are supposed to do, right? They're supposed to exactly. uh, call you out when you do something dumb. Um, all right, Carlos, I, I want to get to North Carolina and this week's opponent, but a couple of stats mm-hmm. uh, that obviously stick out in this game. Five turnovers, Miami had four in their first four games. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke, uh, three interceptions, two fumbles in this game lost. Uh, Miami, uh, we'll, we'll get into TVD a little bit more. Miami now ranks eighth in the ACC in red zone touchdown percentage. I know Shannon Dawson didn't want to talk about that, Last week, he was asked about it before the Georgia Tech game, basically saying, well, we took a couple of knees. That's why uh, or we didn't we weren't trying to score a touchdown. So we weren't you know, that's why our red zone TD percent. Well, no, now you're middle of the pack in the ACC in the red zone in terms of scoring touchdowns. And that's that's an issue. I think uh, obviously Tyler threw a couple picks, uh, forced the ball, trying to get it to Xavier Restrepo in the end zone for the first one um, and then, you know, made a bad decision. My question to you, and I'm going to read some more Tyler stats here in a minute. What did you see from Tyler in this game? Why was Georgia Tech so successful against them? You know, we've we've talked about it for the last three years about where I've mentioned it, that I think Tyler Van Dyke has issues reading coverage, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to the middle of the field. Right. He tends to throw the ball better on the outside, outside the numbers and down the sideline because those are simpler reads and quicker reads. The problem becomes when teams sit back and cover four and cover two and cover three and a lot of cover four like like Georgia Tech threw at him and play coverage and force him to read. That becomes an issue. He becomes uncertain as to where he wants to go with the football. What happens on occasion is, I think, what, which started to happen what we saw against Georgia Tech is Georgia Tech was giving them the underneath routes. They were giving them hitches. They were giving quick shots. And it was they were moving the ball down the field. When Tyler got greedy, when he started locking on to Restrepo, when he started locking on to guys downfield and his eyes were drawing the defense to where he wanted to go with the football, that's when the turnover started happening. So to me, it's a combination of Tyler pressing, wanting to push the ball down the field without it being available to him, two, not really seeing the coverage or understanding the coverage because he doesn't understand that if he keeps locked on to a receiver, who he's bringing over to that zone based on his eyes. He had no eye discipline, which yeah. has been a problem for him as well throughout his career. And then at the end, it's it's really, you know, again, trying to press and trying to make a play at the end of the game uh, when he should just be taking what the defense gives him. And I think also he needs to do a better job of distributing the football to other receivers. I think he's locked onto Restrepo. Restrepo makes all the plays in the world, which are great. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think he he locks onto him too often and he misses other guys when they're open. Um, yeah. You know, unless it's a called designed play like we saw at the end of the game to Colby Young, then he's generally just looking at Restrepo. And if somebody else breaks free and is – and his eye line, then he'll move over to that receiver like Jacoby George. Um, yeah. I think also this game, it, it's it's starting, and we talked about it early in the year, the pa- the fact that you don't have a real true pass-catching tight end is becoming a problem. You know, Riley yeah. Williams made, made a nice play, but you need consistency out of the tight end because you basically have nothing in terms of working the middle of the field or a threat at the tight end position, so they're able to rotate coverage over to your receivers because they can ignore the tight end, basically. So that, to me, is another problem. Yeah. Um, there's no question they missed the tight end, and and I and I'm not sure. I mean, Elijah Roy, I think dressed for this game. I don't know if he ended up getting a snap or not. Um, he was basically what I was told was he was going to be in emergency mode, play essentially if they need him. Uh, I think the intent was always to bring him back for North Carolina. Um, but they need they need that wrinkle in their offense. They need somebody in the middle yeah. of the in the middle of the field besides Xavier Restrepo 
who can make plays and and ultimately this this comes down to Tyler making good decisions and and protecting the football um I'm going to say also, this I, I will say this let me say this about Tyler um I think he wasn't helped by Shannon Dawson also I think Shannon Dawson this was the worst game he called all season yeah and uh, you know but you could tell that by the result but at the end of the day I think he also called very poor uh route schemes into the coverage yeah. that Georgia Tech was running as opposed to running schemes or route concepts that would take advantage of what Georgia Tech was doing and not giving Tyler the ability to get into the flow of the game and really find opportunities to make completions to where Tyler was forcing things where maybe he shouldn't have, but the OC wasn't helping him either. No, no, not at all. Um, they only ran for – they only averaged 3.6 yards of carry in this game. They did outgain uh, Georgia Tech, I think, by more than 200 yards uh, in this game and still lost, obviously, because of the turnovers. And, and really, it should have been more than that when you give up 70 – four yards and three or four plays at the end, including the game winner. We'll talk about Cam Kitchens and and the fact that he bit when he should have been playing prevent instead of trying to trying to be the hero. Uh he is just as as guilty for this loss as Tyler Van Dyke is because there's no way in hell as a safety do you ever do that. But he did it. Um a couple of more stats I wanted to share uh just just to educate the readers a little bit because sometimes uh, these stats, you know, they end up being brought up later in the week. Um, Van Dyke is still number two rated passer in the country, according to Pro Football Focus's grades. Uh, Michael Penix is, is still number one. Uh, Van Dyke leads the ACC with 15 big time throws, but he's now got six turnover worthy uh throws and four interceptions. Uh, he's only been under pressure on 23.7 percent of his dropbacks. Actually, no. Uh, for the C- for for the Georgia Tech game, he was under pressure only twenty three point seven percent of the time. Um, but for the season, hold on, I got this all uh, in my notes. Uh, three, okay, three of his four turnover worthy throws against Georgia Tech came with a clean pocket. Uh, he's being kept clean on eighty one percent of his dropbacks this season, which leads the S- ACC and ranks third nationally, behind only Carson Beck and Michael Penix. So basically, the only offensive line that's doing uh, a better job than Miami keeping him clean is Georgia and Georgia. Washington. Um, there's eight starters in college football who have yet to make a turnover worthy pass with a clean pocket. Tyler, of course, I said, I think he's got five of his six turnover worthy throws have been with a clean pocket. Uh, the three quarterbacks who are notable, Caleb Williams, Riley Leonard of Duke and JJ McCarthy of Michigan. Those guys are playing the quarterback position cleaner than Tyler is. Um, Going forward, how concerned are you about Tyler and this pass offense? Should we should be should we be worried that maybe they're just not good enough at receiver, or maybe just not good enough at running back? Because Georgia Tech, I mean, this is the same team that got mm-hmm. annihilated by Bowling Green. Were our fears about this team maybe being average at those positions real? Well, I think you know, unfortunately, everything that we said at the beginning of the season, you know, before, especially before I started drinking the Kool-Aid during the bye week, because, you know, you get a bye week, you get a little excited. You forget really, you know, what's going on. You're looking at other results. You're like, oh, we're better than these guys. I'm feeling good. I'm like, oh, they're going to mash Georgia Tech. They give me 200 yards a game. And then you forget everything you say at the beginning of the year, which is, dude, these guys, remember, they always lose an ACC game. They shouldn't lose. Uh, Even though people called us idiots for thinking they may lose to like Pitt or NC State. Well, they lost a worse team. They lost to Georgia Tech. Um, So, you go into the season thinking these things, and you know, as they go on, you figure, hey, they're looking better than we anticipated. But again, poor DB play made its appearance. Uh, not only was it Cam Kitchens coming down hard on that route 
at the end of the game that gave up the touchdown, but also before that on the other long play to Corey Couch, rather than running through the receiver and deflecting the ball, trying yeah. to undercut the route to make an interception. It's just hero ball, hero ball. Instead of making the smart play. Yep. Um, the defensive tackles when when Georgia Tech had that first long touchdown drive, and they were running the ball, they were getting bullied up front. Yep. Georgia Tech's offensive line was bullying the Miami defensive tackles, and that's where the lack of size started to appear. And they started to really gain momentum by pushing the defensive tackles of Miami up front and really running the ball inside on them and breaking some big runs, aside from Haynes King also breaking the pocket, which, of course, Miami's allergy to athletic running quarterbacks has resurfaced once again. Right. Um, you wanted to see more out of the receiver position. Now, how much of that is that these receivers are average or is it that they aren't getting opportunities? I think it's more that they're not getting opportunities because every time we see, you know, uh, Colby Young get the ball, he makes a play. You know, he's had a few drops this season, but he gets open. He's tough with the ball every time he catches it. Jacoby George has surprisingly played very well this season. He's been more consistent when we anticipated. Um, you know, you even had other guys. Tyler Harrell made a catch. Uh, you've had opportunities to get Prashard Smith the ball. And to me, the head-scratching thing is, you know, I thought Rhett Lashley was very good at drawing up plays and creating matchups for his playmakers to allow them to get the ball in space, like Jalen Knighton, you know, like Will Mallory, uh, like Charleston Rambo. He found ways to get those guys the ball in space and allow them to make plays. And I don't think Shannon Dawson has done enough to get Brashard Smith the ball. He's tried. He's had a wrinkle here and there, but then he goes away for it completely. And you don't see Brashard Smith on the field the rest of the way. The other thing that, that bothered me is, you know, schematically in this game, you had better success playing four, four wide with one running back than you did anything else. Yet you're still locked into double tight end formations and two receivers towards the end of the very, game. Very predictable. yeah, And very predictable as to what you're doing. And you're not giving yourself the opportunity to make any plays in the passing game by being in a condensed set with two tight ends that really aren't a threat to receive the ball, right? So yeah. you're basically running a two-man route because you're not even involving the running back in the passing game either, which is, to me is head-scratching. So I don't think it's at their average. I think there was a, a everything for whatever reason just – combined into this big mosh of disaster for the Hurricanes, where it was their coordination, their offensive coordination was off, their decision-making as a coaching staff was off, the players uh, were making bad decisions at the quarterback spot, your leaders didn't make plays when they needed to. It was just a combination of things. And and to go back to the clock thing, it wasn't just that they didn't take a knee at the end of the game. If you recall, at the end of the first half, there's 30 seconds left. Miami gets down to Georgia Tech's 25. Yeah. They have two timeouts left. Rather than taking a timeout, they keep going, right? They wait for them to get set. Not, they lose 10 to 12 seconds, which costs you basically two plays, and they have to settle for a field goal, as opposed to trying to get into the end zone at the end of the half and gaining yourself an additional four points, which kept, guess what? Even with the disaster, would have still been a one-point victory. So the clock management it was an issue throughout the game. And I mean, I don't know, man. It was just a big, big pile of disaster that they overcame, and then they just got it snatched from. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm looking at some of the target numbers for this year, and I hadn't really studied this until now, but Restrepo has been targeted uh, 43 times out on 146 
uh, attempts. Uh, so basically he's being targeted 30, nearly 30% of the time, 29.4% of the time. Jacoby George, 32 targets. Colby Young, 26. Uh, the next guy on the list, the next two guys on the list in terms of targets, Ray Joseph and Tyler Harrell with eight each. So they have not incorporated the rest of the receiving core enough. Uh, Brashard Smith has only been targeted six times. All six times he's been targeted, he's caught the ball for 92 yards and a touchdown. Uh, the tight ends, you know, you talk about how much they're being used in this offense. Riley Williams, four targets, two catches. Cam McCormick, three targets, two catches. And then finally, Jaleel Skinner, one target, one catch. So uh, that's eight targets for the tight ends. And then the running backs, Henry Parrish has been targeted seven times. Uh, Chris Johnson is the only other running back who has had a ball thrown his way. So that's uh, – and it was targeted once. So eight targets for the running backs. And what did I say? Eight targets for the tight ends. Mm -hmm. 16 out of the 146 targets for this offense have gone to running backs and tight ends. That is staggering and and, and shows you that you know what you're seeing, Carlos, when you look at the film. Yeah, that's problematic. Uh, it's just – you have when you are not a threat in other areas of the field, right? If your tight ends and your running backs aren't threats in the passing game, how do you expect your receivers to get open? You make yeah. it easier for the defense to play their coverage, to lock in on receivers, and give you everything underneath. They're gonna say you're not gonna throw the ball to the running back or the tight end, so we're just gonna forget them. We're just gonna, you know, we're gonna uh, rotate our coverages over to the receivers, make sure you don't throw anything over the top, and then try and rob down on any in routes that you throw. And that's basically what they've done. Luckily, Restrepo's been able to find holes in the zone because he's a really good route runner and understands what the coverage is giving him. But at the same time, I also think Van Dyke has missed a lot of guys for not looking other ways. And again, I, I don't think Shannon Dawson has done uh, a good job of putting them in the best position in, in terms of the passing game. They've gotten away with it against lesser teams to this point. Um, but eventually, yeah. like we said, man, I said at the beginning of the season, not having a tight end is going to hurt them. Uh in terms of blocking, and, and we talked about some of those stats of how, how well protected Tyler has been. I mean, he's had the third cleanest pocket in the country this season. Um, just looking individually at some of Miami's linemen, Matt Lee, uh, the number two center in the ACC in terms of his overall grade from Pro Football Focus. You obviously saw how upset he was at the end of that game. What the F are we doing? He was seen yep. on TV saying that. Jalen Rivers grading out at 75, which is an excellent grade. Um, you know, for a left tackle who, who faces a lot of pass rushers, he's done his job. Uh, I, I would say, uh, you know, Inez Cooper has done a good job as well, especially in run in run blocking, um, really, which is which is his strength. Um, it just I feel for the kids, Carlos, because, you know, again, um, it feels like they're giving the right effort. Like I have I can't sit here and say, man, outside of the Cam Kitchens miscue. Right. And and Tyler's throws. I can't say they've acted foolishly. Right. No. Like you, there, there's not many instances this year where you're like, what the hell are they like? Why? You know, yes, you had the block punt. You had the muff punt by Jacoby George. I'm trying to think of other mistakes that I was just like, OK, that's that's not good. But, you know, Colby Young dropping one or two passes like they've executed at a pretty good level most of the year. Right. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, you had a bunch of stupid penalties against Georgia Tech, but other than that, I, I but they weren't like head scratching, super late hits, or or something really dumb on a sideline that you shouldn't have done. I think the one they called on uh, on Francisco Manoa was was just a terrible call. Um, you know, the roughing the passer, he just dove at the quarterback and happened to land on his leg. It wasn't an intentional hit, but they threw the flag at him anyway. But you know, this game had six penalties for 80 yards. Uh, one of the, the bigger games in terms of penalties this this year. 
to me, it's, it, you know, the kids have responded. I think they've grown from last season. You see that in the players. I think even in a bad game like this, you see the maturity and the level of growth from year to year and even the way they, they took pride in that performance. I think the defense, you know, for the most part, played really well until they ran out of gas in the second half. It's impossible to stay on the field the entire game and not run out of gas. And even still, they essentially held Georgia Tech to 17 points for the most part until yeah. that, that last series. Miami's been flagged uh, an average of seven times a game. Um, and that that ranks 108, 7.2 flags per game. And and then uh, 70 yards a game in penalties ranks 120th. So if you're if you're wondering about those numbers, but overall, I mean, the defense I think has been pretty solid. And but this the look the level of competition is rising this week. And Derek May, uh, Drake May, uh, he's got Tez Walker back his receiver. Carolina scored 40 against a good Syracuse defense. That to me, okay, maybe they're not elite defense, Carlos, but they're certainly not an embarrassment. They're not what Georgia Tech was. I said on mm. I said on Seven Sports Extra last night when I made my my late night appearance um, that I think North Carolina is going to win this game, but I do think Miami's going to show up and fight them th- till the fourth quarter, which really has been the case the last couple of meetings anyway. Um, when you look ahead to North Carolina, and I don't know how much you've studied them, they're undefeated. You know, I don't even know what they're ranked. I know they were ranked 14th last week going in. I don't know if they've moved up a couple spots. I assume so. Um, what do you think of their team? And, you know, what's your early assessment of that game? I, I think they're offensively, they're explosive. You know, I thought they would struggle without Phil Longo. Uh, they did early on, but now they're starting to find their stride. That 40-point game against Syracuse, I watched a lot of that game. You know, Drake May is a surgeon, too. You know, you yeah. want to talk about the opposite of Tyler Van Dyke in terms of using his eyes to move defenses. That guy's eye discipline is incredible. And the way he could rocket the ball from one side of the field to the other on target, on point, with touch – is just astounding. He's he's an incredible quarterback. I think their weapons, you know, Hampton's a really good running back. Uh, McCullough's a really good receiver. You got Tez Walker back, who's dynamic, of course, but they also have dynamic receivers uh, aside from Tez Walker and McCullough. Their tight ends, both of those guys are, are good. I think it's Moreno and Ellis. Yeah. They're both really good tight ends. Their defense is big up front in terms of defensive line. You know, it's going to be a challenge, man. It's not going to be a cakewalk. A lot of people talked early in the year when I said that Carolina's defense was better than we expected. Um, they, they called us idiots. They're called me an idiot. They always call me an idiot, but whatever. Um, they, they said we were stupid, but man, uh, seeing what they did to Syracuse to me was really impressive. Um, they shut down a pretty good Syracuse offense, uh, even better yeah. than Clemson did. Look, they're undefeated. Mac Brown, he gets off to great starts. It's always how they finish. They kind of have he gets to... off on beating Miami. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Four straight, four straight in the series. Uh, it's a game Miami can win. I'm not saying they're going to go in there uh, and get blown out. I don't think that's the case. I think, again, uh, I think this is a different team than the one we saw last year. I don't think they're going to give up and get their asses handed to them. Those players were pissed after that game. The offensive, Matt Lee was not the only one who was angry. And it's Cooper, uh, Jalen Rivers, all these guys uh, who fought to win that game last game. I don't, I don't expect them to lay down. Uh, and take it from North Carolina. The problem is, you said it, it's Drake May. It's the fact that this guy is a surgeon uh, and he's the best quarterback Miami will face this season in terms of um, pro potential and ability. Uh, I think... Do you have Drake May's numbers up there? Because I I, I would love to see what his numbers are against pressure. And here's the reason why I say that. mm -hmm. Again, we continue to see Miami's defensive line generate pressure and not come away with those sacks. That's been an issue all season. And we, I've seen people say in the comments, uh, well, pressure bust pipes. QBs can't play well under pressure. And let me tell you something. I've seen Drake May throw on the run, throw on the move, throw under pressure, and the dude is unaffected by it, it seems like. And we've seen Tyler Van Dyke under pressure. 
he actually plays better under pressure than he does with a clean pocket, as we just talked about. Yeah. So if Miami doesn't finish plays with sacks against Drake May, if they're not hitting him, it's going to be a problem. Well, I'm glad you brought this up. I called up Pro Football Focus, uh, and I did passing pressure. This is just ACC. Guess who number one and number two are in facing pressure? Drake, Drake May and Tyler Van Dyke? Tyler's actually rated higher. Tyler is, in terms of their grades, 11 of 22 for 159 yards and a touchdown, no interceptions. Drake May, 21 of 39, a 53.8% completion percentage, which is the highest in the ACC when he's under pressure. Uh, 338 yards, four touchdowns, and three picks. Go back to last year's game. Uh, Miami intercepted him twice. They're one of the few teams that have that has managed to do that. Cam Kitchens actually got one of those. Um, and he, you know, Miami had a chance, obviously, in that game. They lost 27-24. Uh, May, the, the thing with May is he's even better when he's got a clean pocket. So you have to get yeah. pressure. You have to. I mean, I'm looking at his numbers now. He's completing 77% of his passes when he's got a clean pocket, uh, averaging 9.2 yards per attempt, four touchdowns, one pick. Uh, Tyler with the clean pocket, 77%, 11 touchdowns, four picks. Um, Tyler just Tyler just doesn't see the doesn't see the defense as well as May does. That's just the reality of it. Yeah, it is. And for him, like I said, he prefers seeing pressure because he gets one-on-one matchups. He gets man coverage, which for him is easier to read and diagnose and allows him to get the ball out quicker. When you see Tyler throwing on a second hitch, meaning when he catches the ball, he gets into his drop, hitches once, hitches twice. When that second hitch happens, he's already processed. And he's like, I don't know where to go with the football. And at that point, it's dangerous. And that's what we're seeing. When they give him coverage that he doesn't understand or doesn't really see the field well, and he gets that second hitch, that's when mistakes happen. For him, it's got to be, you know, hit the back, that last step of the drop, release, or hitch once and let it go. And if he doesn't do it, then he's in trouble. I'm interested. It's going to be, what is it, 7.30 kickoff on ABC? Is that right? That The the game. And then uh, the following week, Miami-Clemson. Uh, again, Miami's been outscored like 8,000 to – 30 against Clemson the last four times that they've met them. Um, that game is was announced earlier today as a 7.30 or 8 p.m. kickoff, depending on pretty much if Miami wins at North Carolina. I think if Miami wins at North Carolina, they will be on ABC primetime against Clemson. I think if it's the other way around and Miami loses, uh, then they will be on the ACC network. It, it, it'll, be a, it'll be a noon game on the Ocho. At no, it, it'll be it'll be an 8 o'clock on ACC network <laughs> if it's not the 7.30 primetime. But um, I wanted to get to mailbag because I asked for it at The Athletic. Oh, and yes. Um, and so I had some of those readers. And then, of course, the Twitter followers who saw the article decided to put questions anyway, which I appreciate uh, the loyal listeners of our show here. Um, <laughs> everything 305, uh, his response to my mailbag was uh, it's definitely not going to be uh, rated PG. Uh, Tito Benach says, Manny, what have I done to deserve this? I'm a good person. I promise rampage rampage Kane just sent a, a a gif of a of a child crying uh some people with vomit i mean everybody's just the, the feeling after the georgia tech loss carlos that's that's what it is here's a question from hurricane q which is uh at 16 v lover not stating the obvious mario's fault 100 and he knows it what's the plan for recruiting damage control i say mario cristobal needs to talk to each recruit and, f- and family privately one-on-one and just say i seriously effed up but i promise it won't happen again no say any thoughts. <laughs> um, well, first of all, Miami picked up a top 100 recruit uh, commitment in Nikar, who I've met. I think I've mentioned to him previously on on, on this podcast here uh, that my or or on the until Saturday um, 
feed when, when we do our stars matter segment this was expected Miami was expected to get night cars as a matter of when he was going to pull the trigger and obviously uh the coaching staff was very happy that uh he decided to or agreed to announce it Sunday night to help uh distract some people maybe from from this loss but uh I think as far as recruiting is concerned look Miami had a lot of amazing players uh in attendance including Jeremiah Smith and they dropped the ball they looked terrible yep. there's nothing you can say as a coach that in my mind makes up for stupidity and for a bad loss like words do not never outweigh actions uh the only thing that outweighs a loss is a $50,000 bag um that's about it right money yeah. talk the only thing yeah. louder than, than than actions is money uh that's the only thing that talks louder than that so I think, you know, maybe Miami has to drop some few extra bags here. And, and that's that's how they're able to convince some of these elite recruits that they want them and, and want to come here. Well, I think also, you know, if you're going to preach to these guys that, you know, what you're saying is the truth and that you're a man of your word, then I think you need to be accountable to them. I think you need to be yeah. accountable to those recruits. If they ask you about it, then you'd be honest with it and say, yeah, man, I made a bad decision. You know, this was my thought process behind it. And I wanted to continue to be aggressive because we feel like we wanted to, you know, make that other team feel us, whatever the case may be. Till the to the last whistle, to that clock hit zero, we wanted to keep playing through. We we happened to turn the ball over. You know, I shouldn't have put that kid in that position to be in a in a position where he would turn the ball over. Um, yeah. we made mistakes on the back end, and you know, but those things shouldn't have happened either. It was my fault. I made the bad decision, but I can guarantee you, I'm going to work hard to be better at it moving forward. We're never going to put ourselves in that position again. If we find ourselves in that kind of a situation at the end of a game, I guarantee you my decisions will be different and I won't cost us a game because you know what? I'm human like everybody else. I make mistakes. I'm not infallible and I'm accountable, just like I want you to be accountable. And I think that's the best thing you could do. And to be honest, he he needs to make sure he saves these recruits in this recruiting class because based on Mario's coaching decisions, especially with the clock matches we were seeing, he yeah. is at Orgeron. You need an overwhelming roster to be able to beat opponents because he's not going to outcoach anybody. Which leads us to this to this comment from Vaughn Kane, uh, Vaughn underscore Kane. Can we hire Georgia Tech's coach and shift Mario to lead recruiter? Um, <laughs> look, Mario's recruiting is special, right? And and he's going to put in the effort. You know, obviously the NIL collective from Miami helps with all of that. Uh, you can't knock Mario for his recruiting. But look, there's coaches in this game who have their strengths, right? And And I think Mario, as far as his leadership is concerned, and the way that he leads a program, he leads it in a head coach manner. He's more than capable of doing that. I think he just, to me, this is a mentality. It goes back to what we started talking about on this podcast. Brains over bravado. You need to start doing, showing that more than the other way around. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think there's times to be tough. There's times to impose your will on an opponent. There's times to sort of cement and uh, your culture and, and put an exclamation at the end of a game. And there are times where it's best to just take the need to do nothing, yeah. to allow the clock to expire and run off the field with an ugly win. Um, because an ugly win is better than any kind of loss, especially a loss like in this fashion. Yeah. This is from Marcus Williams, Money Kane. Um, I know it's a mute point, but or moot point, <laughs> not mute point. Uh, but does the staff submit complaints to the ACC about officiating? Our D-line rarely ever gets a holding call. And we had a TD wiped away by one. And the taunting on flag is something that could be called every play. Um, I'm he's sure the Colby dude, Young play, his knee was down. Uh, no, I think he's, he said the flag. Uh, the 
Oh, TD wiped away by a holding call. That was the one where I, I think it was Henry mm. Parrish scored on yeah, a touchdown Parrish run, touchdown. Yeah. and it was a holding, I think, on Inez Cooper. Yeah, well, he, uh, he did hold him. He did hold him. Um, they, I'm sure that complaints are submitted uh, every week. Um, look, I, here's what I would say to the Miami fans who are upset about the penalties. Officiating in college football isn't great. And it's not even good at the NFL level either. There's going to be missed calls. There's going to be, I mean, the elbow was down. Like Don Cheney Jr. didn't fumble. Uh, his elbow was down. It was evident. Uh, this whole malarkey of, well, we didn't get enough evidence. Well, his elbow, and to me, it looked like his shoulder was also down before even the ball even popped up. I think we need to stop complaining about the officiating, right? Like yeah. it, it's it 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 just becomes a culture thing where oh the refs robbed us. No, Miami robbed themselves by being in the game in the fourth quarter with a team that lost to Bowling Green. That's the facts. You should have kicked Georgia Tech's ass. That's the fact. They didn't do it. So don't put yourself in that situation to lose a game because of officiating. Florida State had a bunch of horrendous calls that affected them against Virginia Tech, and the game wasn't a blowout, but they still beat them by 20-something points. So if you want to call yourself elite, you want to be a team that wins championships, you win in spite of that. You dominate in spite of that. You do your job. You don't give the referees an opportunity to do it. I get it, Marcus. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not. I'm not saying there weren't blown calls in this game, but – I, you just you have to get over it at some point. You have to stop blaming the officials. The worst call in Miami history that you can blame on officials, go back to that 2002 Fiesta Bowl. That was not pass interference. End of story. End of story. That's it. But again, should Miami even put itself in that situation? No, they were better than Ohio State. What were they doing playing grab ass with Ohio State in that game? Just my mentality with it, Carlos. Not only that, man, but I mean, you, it's like Canes fans are shocked every week that, that they don't get calls. Dude, this has been going on for 30 years. The Hurricanes never get calls. Like, I think we need to adjust our expectation. I think there's a life lesson also, right? Let's mm -hmm. adjust our expectations, right? Let's not go into this game expecting that, you know, we're going to get all the calls for the first time ever. Just go in there and accept, hey, we're not going to get calls. Things are not going to go our way when it comes to the officials. Just go in there and and win in spite of it, right? Overcome that and and right. make take pride in winning when the officials are still trying to screw you over and the officials aren't giving you calls that you should get, and you still come out on top. Take pride in that as opposed to about whining about it. Not that you're whining, Marcus. I get where you're coming from. All right. Matt Price, mighty job on Twitter. Serious question. Why did Tyler look like the 2021 Tyler when passing through Estrepo and 2022 in almost every other situation? I think we covered this earlier, Carlos, but do you want to give a final thought to Matt here on that? Because going to Xavier Restrepo requires zero processing of the defense. Because he knows where Streppel is going to be at all times. He has that kind of relationship with him where Streppel is good enough to find the hole in the zone and will set up in a position to allow Tyler to get him the, the football. The problem becomes when Tyler brings additional defenders over into that zone because of his locking on to Restrepo. And that's why he looks better throwing to Restrepo and everybody else. Yeah. Um, it, there's no other way to explain it. They, like, like you said, he could probably throw the ball to Xavier with his eyes closed because of how much time they, they, they work together and, the chemistry that they've built, whereas, you know, a guy like Jacoby George, you saw it. Um, you know, the he 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 wasn't where he needed to be. The ball wasn't where it needed. To, it just it's not the same when he throws it to Jacoby. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and it's very and, disappointing that they're not targeting Colby Young more. Yeah, he needs to be more. Definitely, I agree with you on that on that front. Um, all right, I'm going to grab a couple here from the actual mailbag. 
Um, this isn't a question. This is from Brett R. in the actual athletic mailback. This, this isn't a question, but an observation for the betting folk. If Miami uh, is playing in alternate jerseys after a bye week, bet everything on the other team? <laughs> question mark. <laughs> yeah, I would say yes. Yeah. Um, this is from ENS. How does Miami come back from a loss like that? There have been a lot of bad losses over the last 20 years or so, but this one was by far the worst, if for no other reason, that it was 100% completely avoidable. Miami had to try to lose that game, and thanks to Mario Cristobal, that's exactly what it did. How do you come back? You forget about it. Today, it has to be over. You have to move on. There's really nothing else. Um, this so here, is... here's, here's the way you can paint the big picture, right? Looking at the big picture and, and mm-hmm. a, a way that you can move forward from this loss. You know, most people would have thought Miami would have lost to Georgia to, uh, to uh, Texas A&M earlier in the year, right? right. You right. probably expected this team to be somewhere around four and one to begin with before the season even started. Now you've got the media of the ACC schedule and every team that you need to beat to be able to vault yourself into the ACC championship is on your schedule. They're in front of you. You've got Clemson, you've got North Carolina, you've got Florida State and you've got Louisville. Those four games are the critical games that Miami needs to win. They can overcome this loss by winning those four games. And everything they want is in front of them. Uh, can't say that the Coastal is still available because it's not there anymore. But you got four games to prove whether or not you are worthy of an ACC championship berth. If they can win those four games, and of course the other ACC games that aren't give-me's, as we saw, um, yeah. then you, your season is in your hands. So it's not over yet, man. Yeah. Um this is from Mike R. And, and to add to your point, like, yes, I mean, every team that's undefeated in the ACC is on Miami's schedule, North Carolina, Louisville, and Florida State. So you beat all of them. You're in the ACC championship game. Yep. And if you beat North Carolina, now you've got a springboard into the rest of the season because you just beat a team that's a top 15 team, one yep. of the best quarterbacks in the country, on the road, a team you haven't beaten, uh, you know, four straight times. This is from Mike R. Are all of Mario's large contingent of assistants and analysts so afraid of the boss that they can't come up to him and say, take a knee? You said Mirabal did. I didn't see that. Did you yeah, do- a friend of mine sent me a screenshot of a Twitter post where Mirabal came up to them twice, Dawson and, and Mario saying, take a knee, or it looked like he was saying, take a knee, and they just ignored him. This is from Jeffrey C. Where does this rank in boneheaded plays you've ever seen, Manny? From Pop Warner to college. <laughs> Have you ever witnessed something as inexcusable in a game? That's a great question. I haven't really given it much thought. Honestly, um, I have. All right. You got to share. <laughs> and you know what? Thinking back on it, that's totally slipped my mind, and I just remembered it. I should give Mario um, you know, a, a little bit of a break here because when I was playing 11 and under football for the city of Miami at Shenandoah Park, we were winning a game with you know five seconds left. All we had to do was take a knee to end the game, and I decided – Hey, I'm going to try and get one more touchdown pass. Um, so I threw it quick because a friend of mine was asking for the ball again, caught a ball game. So I threw it to him. It bounced off his chest. They intercepted it. They ran it back for a touchdown. Uh, we lost the game. Wow. Should have led with that one. Should have led the show with that one, Carlos. We saved it for the end, huh? Yeah. Well, I wasn't a head coach, though. <laughs> and I was also what, 10 what years the, old. What I was did also that, 10 years old. What did the head coach come out and tell you after the game? What did he say? He was just dumbfounded. He was also an 18-year-old kid, so it really didn't bother him that much. <laughs> oh, man. Um, all right, I'm looking here at some of the other mailbag um, comments. This is from ZC. Is it possible that TVD is not that good? I thought Gaddis sucked, but it couldn't have been all his fault last year. Uh, somebody said that last year that it uh, wasn't all Gaddis. But, hey, I think – Last year, TVD was a mismatch in terms of system for him, what what he's best at and what he plays best in. This year's a better system for him. 
But the problem is when defenses throw uh, that blueprint at you where they're going to force you to read coverages, normally, you know, offensive coordinators are going to take advantage of the coverages that you're throwing at them, especially if you throw it every single down pretty much. They were in cover four, I would say, at least 60% of the time. Yeah. And Shannon Dawson did nothing to take advantage of that. I think they had opportunities to take advantage of it early in the game when they were throwing underneath. Yeah. Um, and they just didn't continue to exploit that. They got greedy and they wanted to continue to push the ball down the field. And they also got themselves in some bad situations where they were going, you know, third and 12, third and 10. They were on third and long a lot more this game than they had been all season. And that puts a lot of pressure on the quarterback to make a play down the field, but, uh, or get a little bit greedier, push it a little bit more as opposed to taking what's in front of them. All right, Carlos, that's going to wrap up this week's episode. Uh, I appreciate you coming on to discuss Georgia Tech, North Carolina, everything going on with the Canes. Four and one, but for all the Miami fans who are upset and think that the season's over, it's not. You can quickly redeem yourself this week at Carolina. You you go over there, you pull an upset. Uh, I think the Tar Heels are a four-point favorite in this game right now, at least the early betting lines that I've seen are three and a half, something like that. Uh, you go on the road, you beat North Carolina, you come home and you beat Clemson. Well, now you feel a little differently about Mario Cristobal again and just say, well, he blew it. Brain fart, but this program is on the right it track. It is what it is. Yeah. Uh, but hey, Carlos, they, they go 0 for 2 here the next two weeks. And man, man, we are we are in a bad place. So here's to hoping the Hurricanes get in a victory formation twice in the next two weeks, Carlos. <laughs> Hopefully they have an opportunity to do it. <laughs> All right, Carlos Lello, make sure you follow him uh, and listen to his podcast, the MIA All Day Podcast. Follow him on Twitter at? Uh, El Ledo, E-L-L-E-D-O-1307, or at MIA All Day Pod. There you go. And uh, make sure you subscribe. If you're watching us here on YouTube, subscribe to the channel. Follow us. Uh, we will be following this Kane season. I will be going to Chapel Hill this week for the game. I will be flying out for the game. So I will be there in person to provide my report. Uh, hopefully... I will be in a chapel. I will be in a chapel Saturday morning before the game, <laughs> praying for victory uh, in, in North Carolina. Yeah, we will see which Canes show up. Hopefully it's the ones that uh, that wanted to play well and had every intent this season to get rid of that you felt after last year. We will see which team shows up. I'm betting on the, the good one to show up this week, Carlos. All right, that wraps it up. That wraps it up for the uh, Wide Right Podcast. Make sure you uh, follow us again. Take care. That wraps up this episode. See you. Peace. It's all about the you.